2: The the God of Pranksters. Like right, That comes flying
0: out. They dropped it on the floor. Ash went everywhere, oh, no. and these glass eyes rolled across oh, the floor. Within four years of properly having a go at racing, I was a factory Suzuki rider. And that was before I was called Stavros, because he named me Stavros. Did he genuinely think I should have won it? And he said, no, I just wanted to meet your girlfriend. What have you ever done, Parrish? All you did was be mates with Barry Sheen. And I'm happy to say I was good mates with Barry Sheen, but boy, oh boy, he was a good mate to have. You were wearing leathers that... You know, you might as well have be been wearing your pyjamas. So all of a sudden, I'm passing Ago. condom drops on a lap, <laughs> she tries to open it, thinks it's chewing gum. Oh. I hated going there, I hated sitting on the grid, but I loved doing it. There so they're all thinking it's Barry Sheen, and they're screaming, and waving their knickers <laughs> at me, and everything else, yeah. Give us your number. Yeah. I am literally flying through the air. A hundred mile, mile an hour. Barry stops with his fag on, he said, tell you what, Stoas, he said, I'll stand guard. I'm just about to put my bed down to go to sleep, I get a tap on the shoulder from the cabin director. Uh, Dr. Parrish, we've got a problem at the back of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Danny
2: Buchan, and it is on. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Pushing the Limit podcast with me, Danny Bucken. Today's guest is a man who's done some race winning, um, lots of travelling. I would literally say you, you are the the god of pranksters. That's <laughs> literally, no, that is it. Right? <laughs> Everyone's, everyone fears you when you're around. You just look around at the bike show and people are literally just stood back, just yeah, seeing what you're up to. It's a
0: reputation <laughs> that I've found hard to get rid of, I but, think. But my main claim to fame <laughs> is I'm now celebrating 48 years without a proper job. That and, I, and I'm really really proud of that and I think I'm way past the age where I'm going to have to get one now I was going to say so that you think you right might I think I've got away it. with it actually yeah, yeah I do because yeah, really
2: yeah, uh, yeah obviously another 30 years in you mate easy well probably yeah but uh, I don't know what I'm going to be when I
0: grow up I haven't yet decided what that will be well nice like people die so you'll be fine yeah yeah well most people do normal people do don't they <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I'm going to be the, hanging in there yeah. it, it's yeah. funny cause... in fact I'm trying to organise my own I want to go to my own funeral because <laughs> I've got so many things I want to do yeah. like I want a, like a microwave bing ping going off when I go through those curtains to the where you get oh, cooked and, oh, and I want a fart machine remote control yeah. fart machine in my coffin I'm going to have loads of things going I
2: out. actually see a video the other day and it was a guy doing that a guy okay. had uh, done some sort of put some sort of flyer. he was swearing out of his oh, right, he yeah, was yeah. like yeah fucking like bury me but it was funny because um, all automatically i just thought about the story in your book of what you did to your brothers and sisters when your dad passed away like that the story i've really become a big fan of the book (laughs) because it's really making me giggle yeah and i'm going to sound like a salesman here but i want actually i'm going to ask for commission on any book i sell now but it really please guys if you haven't listened to the book listen to it because it's really honest, isn't it? Open, honest, yeah. and really funny.
0: Yeah, and I had to sit for three days, as we spoke about before we came on here, <laughs> reading this book, and, and it, it's quite hard because I'm, I'm not the best reader. I wasn't very good at school. I just got thrown out of every school I went to. Uh, slightly dyslexic, and I had to sit in this studio, not dissimilar to where we are now, reading this book word for word, letter for letter, and making sure I got the right kind of pauses here. And, and about day two and a half, this fellow kept saying, no, you've not read that right. And in the end I went, it's my bleeding book I'm going to read it how I like so probably the end of the book might be a bit different but you can actually buy the book and read it steveparishracing.com is where you go to buy that and then you get it signed and personalised as well and the funny thing is I think I send nearly every book out if it's to a bloke with a big stamp on its own pregnancy test results oh my and the god. blokes I get so many yeah. calls people go god you got me into trouble the wife came home from work and she wanted to know what was going on <laughs> and if it if it's for a girl I've got stamps that say playboy subscription and so on and so on so everyone that gets a like one of my books gets embarrassed when it arrives
2: well one of my mates stitched me up so we had uh, an office in an office block um and this like the office box privately owned by like, a friend of ours and his wife and that they've all got an office in there and i got to the office one day and one guy went to me oh you've got a letter down there and I laughed and said is it a brown one and they went no I said oh that's good then is it a white one like no one no he was going and I was like he said I've given it to uh, to Kathy to put in your on your desk yeah. and so it's been passed around their office it's been given to another lady to put onto my desk and I get there and it's um it's got a bit of like panty liner hanging out of it, like knicker, like <laughs> okay. girls' knickers, and it's from like a panty sniffing company. I I've seen it. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I, know. I just said, uh, uh. like, I phoned my mate straight away because you know sometimes you know straight away who it was. Yeah, yeah, but it was that person. But that story, can you please just share the story of, of the the urn, the thing you did? Well, yeah. We just we just touching that before we start well, talking okay. about. Well, okay. was actually my mother. Uh, my
0: father died well, when I was twelve years old, okay. so he didn't get to see what a lunatic I kind of was. Which is a, you know, I think as a, a young person could, growing up especially if you're doing alright in sport it's nice to share it with your parents but my, my dad passed away pretty early on um, but my mum went when I don't know I was probably about 45 something like that um, and she had a really good sense of humour and she wanted to be cremated or cremated and then her ashes being spread and she used to have a little holiday kind of caravan down in Norfolk a place nice. called Heacham near Hunstanton anyway I went I've got two sisters and a brother and we drew short straws who was going to go and spread the ashes well, it turned out my brother got the short straw and he was going to get the job of doing it. But my eldest sister lived very close to Heacham in Norfolk. So I went and got the ashes from the um, Chapel of Rest, I think they call it. And it's in a big urn and it's got like a cork top and it's all waxed up and sealed and everything else. And being a fairly inquisitive person, I thought, I'm going to have to have a look, you know. Uh, and sure enough, you take it off and it does look like ashes. I don't know what I was expecting. No, no. <laughs> and that was exactly what it was. But I thought it'd be a bit silly to just give them a load of ashes to throw out. So... Uh, I was married to my first wife at the time and we lived at home and I got kids, one was about two and one was about five. Uh, and one of them had one of these jack-in-the-box things, you know, where you squidge it down yeah, and it yeah. flies out of a box and goes a great yeah. big squawk comes out. So I took it all apart, much to the disgust of my daughter at the time, pulling all her toy apart and everything else, and I crammed it down inside the <laughs> lid. And then for a good measure I dropped two glass eyes in the, in the bottom and so gave it to my brother, sealed it all back up with wax. He took mm. it down. He went the night before down to Norfolk to stay with my sister and I knew they'd want to have a look. I knew they would. She lived in an old cottage that got a kitchen floor made of stones. So it was a hard floor. They'd had two or three glasses of Rioja or whatever, got loosened up a bit, and decided to have a look at these ashes. And sure enough, they unwaxed it, it. exactly it runs in the family. Yeah. Unwaxed it, and sure enough, this thing whack like right, that comes <laughs> flying ice. out. They dropped it on the floor. Ash went everywhere, oh. and these glass eyes rolled across oh, the floor. No. And I think they screamed and ran out the room. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I wish I'd been there. And most of my pranks, and you'll find the same. You're never there to see exactly what goes on. But they you only imagine it. You can, and I'm giggling and giggling. Anyway, about this was going to happen on the Sunday at twelve o'clock. They were going to go and spread the ashes on the beach at Heacham. Didn't hear anything by three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and I'm starting to think, ah, I've upset them. I've gone too far this time. So I phoned my other sister. Have you heard anything? My eldest sister was called Shirley. She said, No, I've not heard anything. Anyway, by seven o'clock in the evening, I had to phone up and say, Look, everything all right. They got me back. They said, oh, no, it's way too windy down here. We've given them the vicar, and he's going to do it tomorrow. So I'm now in my car driving down there to retrieve the ashes. But it got them good and proper. So anyway, good that, thing to do. That is absolutely mm. mega. Yeah. And
2: do you think if your dad was alive, if he was a bit older, he'd have suppressed your like the pranks to side? Because obviously, as you say in your story, he was quite yeah. on your own loose and sort of keeping yourself busy. I,
0: I, no, I don't think he would because I always got to hear from his friends that he had a really good sense of humor okay. and was always doing daft things or silly things. So obviously, I've got that side of him. But no, I don't think so but you know um, it just would have been nice to go home with the old trophy wouldn't it now and again and show your dad because that's yeah. probably what they want from you as opposed to a, a flipping hooligan that didn't go to school and, and just wanted to cause all sorts of trouble which yeah, I've heard I you so did the same similar.
2: that's the funny thing I was listening to it, and I mm. really resonated because mm. I was literally the same mm. like I even now to this day the pranks I do on my mates like yeah. all sorts of things and, and it's uh, I get a right good kick out <laughs> of it and they think I'm weird <laughs> I love it I know but I used to go I used to go too people. far with oh, everything
0: yeah, yeah. and, and they'd go that's not even funny and I used to think it was I I was into pyrotechnics and things so I used to buy these uh, stage maroon things and connect them up to people's indicators and brake lights (laughs) and stuff and I once luckily it was a lease car I once connected one up to a brand new BMW I think it was called a uh, three, two, five, or something like that, and I put two bigger stage marines on. He touched his brake lights, and it blew the bonnet off his oh, car. Oh no, that is. And, and, and they're oh, that is <laughs> all funny. So, There you go. But I've calmed down. A I wouldn't want to give.
2: Out. Did you get any banned from any hire car companies? Like, Everyone. You go, I was going to say oh. going to Spain and on oh. holidays.
0: Oh, not on holidays. it was racing. Just, yeah, I, I testing spent, or yeah, you know, racing. Uh, probably 12 years working for BBC, travelling around. Colin Edwards, if you get to see Colin, I know he's retired now, but we had a great story. We went to pick him up from uh, the paddock one day in Saxon Ring we were, and I was with Charlie Cox, my co-commentator. And on the way from the circuit... To the hotel every morning and night for three or four days we found this rally track it was like an old <laughs> dirt track and everything else and we had a, a renault poo or whatever it was called um and each day we were getting faster and faster and faster final day on the monday morning we were going to pick colin edwards up and he was there with his wife alicia they got all their bags and everything and they wanted to leave the motorhome home at the track where the driver was going to take it off to Aston, I think, and we were going to give him a lift back to Berlin, or I can't remember. Anyway, I hit this <laughs> jump with the Renault Poo, and when it landed, it came down nose first and it bust all the suspension joints completely and poked them through the wing. But worse than that, it broke the sump and all the oil ran out, and I managed to just creep in the oh, paddock no. with it rattling and banging, and Colin was already putting his luggage in because we were a bit late. Yeah. I said, we're not going anywhere here, mate. But anyway, we finally got someone else from the BBC to take us back, and then eventually I got a bill from Hertz Rental for 18,000 euros, which I obviously didn't pay. I
2: was going to say, did you pay it? No. no.
0: No, of course I didn't. No, no, no. I just said there was a rock in the motorway, and we hit the rock, and it must have busted the sump, and... Uh, whatever but no we had a yeah, bit of no. an argument but oh yeah I had a few issues with tyre cars and things but I think I'm more respectful now yeah do yeah. you think so yeah. I had a story <laughs> like
2: that where I actually um, had a speeding ticket in Holland coming back from Assen and it was really funny because when I flew back to Assen the year after um, I got Walked into passport control and they was like, "You've been, a, oh, yeah. you've been a naughty boy." Yeah. And they yeah. marched me off of security to yeah. a back room. And you know, I had this image, and I remember my wife coming into the house going, "You got a speeding fine here from Holland." Yeah. And I went, "I ain't fucking paying that." Ripped mm. it up, and I just had that flashback. Why mm. didn't I pay it? Mm. But anyway, that was all fine. Well, I paid it. Yeah. Oh, you did pay it. Yeah. Okay. No, I I know. I paid it. I said to him, "Right, what's the damage?" When we all sat right. there, okay. trying to intimidate me, it's like thirty-five euros. I was like. I was say thinking in the if this is in, place, England, yeah. they're going to charge me thousands. Yeah, it of this, would have just surmounted up. Wouldn't you it? Take yeah.
0: cards? Well, we had the same issue with Holland as well. So I used to just use Plummet
2: Airways and go into Groningen, <laughs> and there was no customs there, so that was how we got Plumet around. Plummet Airways. Then. Oh, we're <laughs> going to get to Plummet Airways, but <laughs> right. so yeah. So obviously, then you felt obviously you was a lunatic child. Yeah. Do you think finding the racing channeled your uh, crazy? I yeah, and it just because me and Tozend had the me and James had the same conversation. Mm. Like, mm. get them on a motorbike, it shut them up. They enjoy it, and they can channel that focus do you think that helped you growing up I think it saved my life frankly uh, not just from probably riding too fast on the road but I did have i had no real focus
0: I was working as a My last job as a tractor mechanic, really, agricultural engineer, I did a sort of three-year apprenticeship and really wasn't going anywhere. And motorcycles, kind of, they were in my life all along, but I never really thought about going racing. Nowadays, it seems that kids come from, if they haven't won something by their nine years old, they're they're not going anywhere. No. And it would have been 13, 14, 15, that sort of period of time. I lived on a farm and we had a disused airfield nearby. And like you, farm cars and it could be anything that you could buy for a fiver or a tenner and I'd be tearing it around. Um, and then all of a sudden I got with a bunch of mates and we decided to set up a race team, which was ridiculous. But the other guys, one had some money. The other one was a machinist. Another one was a paint spray. So they had all these kind of qualifications and I didn't have any. So they said, well, you better ride it. And it literally <laughs> was serendipity. Just happened to be right place, right time. Went racing, usual thing, finished last the first time and the Triton Smiling, and, loving yeah, it. Yeah, still loving yeah, yeah. it because it was... Probably more the crack of doing it than the actual riding because, you know, I I say we we went down there in an old Bedford doorbell with your mates and had a few drinks and the van broke down and you got your (laughs) pliers out and you fixed it. So it was a giggle that went with it. Anyway, decided that our bike was a pile of shit, borrowed a bit of money, bought a 250 Yamaha and the rest is the story of my life of going racing. And it just happened to be the right place, right time having a bit of fun, and boy, did we have fun, I mean, it was great, club racing is great really, because yeah, so you can be chilled, relaxed, and there's no pressure from anywhere, and
2: you're all there for each other almost, in this club scene, aren't you, you've you got that spare, you got that spare, yeah, yeah take yeah, that, yeah, take yeah. that, and or, it's, it's yeah.
0: more about the bar on Saturday night Just as well, fun. isn't it, so it is a lot of fun, so if you don't think, and I didn't think I was ever going to make it, until all of a sudden I started winning races, and it was the biggest surprise to me, but it somewhere along the line I must have had a certain amount of natural mobility but it really did focus me and all of a sudden I became this kind of nearly anal organised person that if I was going to do it I was going to do it properly and I'd load up my little transit van or something with my bikes so and I'd make sure i got a spare this and a spare that and so on and so on. So I kind of went from this lunatic idiot that was hadn't got a care in the world to being a very organised person and even now, I might be a prankster and I still love a giggle. I'm actually quite an organised person, believe it or
2: not. I'm not. I'm still not. Oh, right, okay. I try to be, right. but my wife is really organised. So oh, I see. You maybe, were smart. Yeah, you've got it, a wife that's yeah, organised. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't have one of them. But from when you... Didn't you first visit a racetrack in, like, 1972, weren't it? Yeah. But then your first title weren't long after, was it? When was your first... Uh, 70, or did, th- yeah, about 74, three that's or four. I mean, that's not yeah. a long time, yeah. is it, to no, win the title?
0: Club racing, yeah. And then yeah.
2: your first... When was your first British superbike?
0: Or your, the, oh. the British... Was that the first time I got into what I call national racing would be seventy five on a TZ three fifty. I was sponsored, luckily, by a retired chicken farmer called Harold Coppock, who was a great sort of patron of our sport. That's three years
2: though, oh, first yeah, time I know, you ever visited I a circuit.
0: But I'd been riding bikes yeah. since I was ten or eleven or twelve, but didn't know how fast I was going because there was no one else doing it with me. So, yeah, it was quite quick. And, and then, like you rightly say, from uh, four, five, six. So within four years of properly having a go at racing, I was a factory Suzuki rider. That's mad, <laughs> it, isn't it? It was, it was re- I, ironically l- madness. My first ever trip on an aeroplane was to the Venezuelan Grand Prix. I'd never <laughs> been on a plane before. It? It, yeah. is, it is really. So living the dream. Is uh, a thing that's used by lots of people But I actually was I've all of a sudden I've driven to the airport With my hero Barry Sheen In his Rolls Royce With his beautiful girlfriend And I'm getting on a British Caledonian flight To go to Venezuela And being sat next to Barry, all the stewardesses were around him, and I was just picking up the pieces.
2: going mate, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What you don't want, send them away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But what's funny yeah. is, like, was it quite funny to you that obviously, like, you went from, like you said, like scraping all money together with your mm. mates. What was your team called? Your pub team? What pub was? team was
0: called um, porous racing. Yeah, poor as porous racing. Because porous, porous. You can believe it. <laughs> Plus the yeah. bike leaked so much oil, uh, it was porous piss. You know, as in porous, it leaked. So that was how it yeah. was. Yeah. And then
2: yeah. you went from like those days where you was like scraping everything you could with your yeah. mates to go and then obviously you go teammates with Barry and you see Barry live in this other end of the spectrum yeah. completely yeah. did yeah. that change you or was you quite all was uh, you all quite still grounded and didn't give a shit about certain things and to a
0: certain extent I think Barry and I got on really really well Barry was better than I, I put my hand up to it he was better than I was was, he had, you
2: first, was you first teammates with Barry before you sort of become friends or did you become friends I became as you, friends
0: with him first Yeah, um, and you might have read it in my book but I first met Barry and it would have been 74 or Four, I think it was I was at Brands Hatch and they don't have any more now but it was an event at the end of the year called Stars of Tomorrow and so what you did you went and entered this meeting yeah. and they had a panel of people and it could have been someone like Colin Seeley that made Chassis all I know is Barry Sheen was there and probably two or three others and they had this panel and they looked at who they thought was the young star of the future and by then I must have been 22 or 3 years old so not exactly young but by back in those Still, days that it was, was young. young it was young yeah Anyway, I won, I think, three races out of five. I thought I'd won it. My girlfriend thought I'd won it. And we go up, we get invited up to the Kentigern where the panel was and they got the awards and everything else. Ends up, I end up in second place which I was a bit pissed off about. So uh, Barry Sheen came over to me and I'd never met him before in my life, but I've got his posters on the wall and I'm like dribbling and hardly talking. Yeah, girl, that full fangirl And all that thing. And he said, I said, I got you down as, um," and that was before I was called Stavros because he named me Stavros. Um, I thought you won Steve and this, that and the other. And we got chatting and we had a beer and so on and so on. About four years later, I'm asking him about, did he genuinely think I should have won it? And he said, no, I just wanted to meet your girlfriend. <laughs> so <I was>
2: like, <laughs> uh,
0: so there you go. I think yeah. I should have done. So, and then from there on in, we became friends literally that day, I guess, because he was living in Cambridgeshire near where I lived. He invited me down there. We rode trials bikes, motocross bikes and, and so on and so on. But going back to the fact that, Every time I raced against bat I beat him on occasions. Uh, probably if he beat me 100 times, I beat him 10 times. That's sort of the ratio. But he just seemed to know that if I was going into the last corner at, I don't know, let's say 80 mile an hour, he could go 85. He had that yeah. self-confidence, yeah. that yeah. self-ability and, and self-belief in his own. Um, and that's really what what he was fueled on all the time. But anyway, um, that was just, I couldn't believe what was going on. I, I sort of went back to home, my hometown, and I'm talking to the lads that I started racing with, and I'm doing this and doing that. And in some ways, without me knowing it, it it, it sort of divorced me away from them because they couldn't believe how much odds because you gone just up. like your, your trajectory level was
2: just like exponential. Yeah, it? it was
0: like yeah. Didn't mean to, but you you are, aren't you? All of a sudden, oh, I can't come for a pint, boys, because I'm down in London at Tramps or I've with got Barry yeah, Sheen or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. and 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 I do feel a. Slightly kind of Concerned about that And I didn't mean To do it in any way But I felt that I'd all of a sudden I'd gone out to The little sleepy village In Hertfordshire And I'm now In uh, the big time mess Big time I had a mate Pierce Forrest Had a big house in Chelsea And we'd spend a lot of time there So I was Really, sort of elevated without me even knowing it, and not wishing to be. Well, I did wish to be, but it was just weird. And it happens, doesn't it? And you'll have found the same to a certain extent. You, you start off with the lads and down the pub, and all of a sudden you have got it, to be serious. Yeah,
2: you have to be, didn't you? Yeah, I had that, a factory team to, you know, I mean. a team manager, and, and a the last... money you'd have been getting paid then, absolutely, didn't you? Yeah. Money? not a lot, but enough. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, sure. And that's something, isn't it? Like the money back in them days. So I've actually written down on my. I've got some facts here because okay. I took some facts. So in 1976, the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 1976, the average house price was twelve thousand seven hundred. Because right. I remember, in part of your book, you got the you done the transatlantic, and it said you, you got two thousand to start, yeah. but you spent that on crash damage. Which yeah, yeah, crashed, yeah. Right that up. was my
0: first transatlantic. Yeah, when I was so having to pay for the, the damage.
2: Yeah, so the average house price was twelve thousand seven hundred. The average wage was seventy two quid a week, and a pint was thirty two p. Loaf of bread nineteen p. This is what I, this is right. what the this research Seventy seven is it? Seventy six is seventy six, right? Okay. Whereas now the average house price is two hundred eighty eight thousand. Right. The weight, average wage is six hundred twenty nine pound a week. A pint is four twenty. The average it says, because right, yeah. obviously there's Not some here in stonking prices. Probably yeah. about thirty quid down the pub. Yeah. Um, and bread is one pound fifty. So, in in equivalent terms, if you if you got two thousand pound to start the transatlantic, yeah. now you'd have to have forty eight thousand pound to right. go with yeah, the yeah, actual. Yeah. Yeah, that's we, mad, we, we were
0: lucky. You're absolutely right, because I think an RG500 back then was about 4,000 quid, that's which is actually half the price of a house, isn't it, when you think about that's it? That's what I mean, yeah. But, yeah, yeah I, I used to deal a deal with, back then, it was called Motor Circuit Developments, which was owned by Goodwood Securities, and there was a guy called Chris Lowe, who was the equivalent to Stuart Higgs, I guess you could say, yeah. he kind of ran it all in yeah. the centre. And I used to take, Barry put me on to it, take Chris Lowe out for lunch, perhaps February time, before the season started, and I'd buy him a lunch in London that...
1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
0: And I'd sign up for 1500 quid for every start I did at, at Brands, Cad, no, not Cad, well, Brands Alton Park and Snetton, they own those circuits. That's quite a lot of money, man. Yeah. And so, three meetings, I could nearly buy a flipping house. That's not yeah, yeah, it is rather. And you're absolutely right because you could I was buying Rolls Royces at two grand. They were secondhand with 300,000 miles on. But by the time I'd finished them, they had 30,000 miles on them, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah, you drove yeah, you're backwards. right. You drove As backwards. it was, yeah. uh, it was good. And you could actually seriously, without a sponsor, and lots did run a season by just your prize and start
2: money. And do you think that was kind of helped with like with the character that Barry was for the sport at that time? Do you think that helped the sport in general? Like just how he was seen in the public eye, obviously the people he associated with. Do you think that elevated the sport in that time for companies to be involved? Like Brute, mm. he was obviously mm. sponsored by Brute. Mm done what done the aftershave advert yeah. and he was doing a lot of adverts do you think that was kind of like undoubtedly it, like it, it not up? only
0: improved the sport it improved all the guys around him because we all got dragged along with him because you were competing against him absolutely it. Mm. you must have come up against it and i used to do it all the while i'd go somewhere even when even when i was working for bbc doing the commentary people go what do you do for a living oh well, i'm a commentator for motor gp and they go what what so you'd go oh Valentina rossi ah oh, oh, understood yeah my day what do you do for a living? Oh, I race motorbikes. Oh, what? Is that, uh, is that in mud? And this? I go, Barry Sheen. Oh, oh right, okay, got it. Yeah. So he was the key to making people understand what you did. Yeah. And the same applied, like you say, if you went to see a sponsor, and I remember I went to see Iveco trucks to give me a truck and want to know what's going on, teammates Barry Sheen. Poof, there you go. Yeah. So it, it opened lots and lots of doors. I word, with Barry. Alright, mate, there you go. Let's yeah. And <laughs> it opened loads and loads of doors. And I think uh, there's been certain people throughout – Periods of motorcycle racing, because let's face it, we are a minority sport. We always will be, frankly. Yeah. You, 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 you can't... Yeah, you're, like, you're never going to away, away from it. From it's it. never going to be football, Or
2: upsetting it? you. No, it is there yeah. it is, yeah. So
0: he was the person to open up doors. He also got the circuits to pay the riders more money because they were still getting 60,000, 70,000 people in on a brace meeting. We talk about... Crowds and they're great but they were just as good back in those days and there was no real overheads for anybody so um, Yeah, there's no question about it. Barry Sheen was great person for the sport He came out of the black leathers to wearing gregarious brightly colored Mm. I started racing when it was mods and rockers and we were beating the grannies up down in Brighton. Not me yeah. personally, because <laughs> yeah. they'd have probably scared me. But but that was what motorcycling was. It was like, oh, you're a rocker or a mod. And uh, it was all, you know, What's fighting. the film?
2: Quadrafenia, Yeah, Quadra- I've seen Fenia. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there's no doubt. And, and I was... Uh, and I still get it what have you ever done Parish all you did was be mates with Barry Sheen and I'm happy to say I was good mates with Barry Sheen
2: but boy oh boy he was a good mate to have and yeah. not just because we got on well but he was the guy that opened all the doors yeah and at the end of the day regardless of being mates with Barry you still had a successful career in your own right how many people can sit there now and say they finished 5th in the Grand Prix Motor Grand Prix Championship yeah there's not, not and then you obviously went on to to be British champion. Like, mm. how was you as a competitor? Was you quite a serious guy on the bike? Like, I know obviously you're quite a prankster away, yeah. but when you got on it, was it was it yeah. game on?
0: Uh, absolutely. And, and and what we spoke about right at the beginning, how it focused you. Let's face it: if you're on your bike at the start at Donington Park in two weeks' time or a week and a half's time, you wouldn't care if and I and god forbid it's ever happened if your wife run off with someone the VAT man's after you are just focused you on got, what you You can't do. not be you yeah. can't not be it's the one thing that you don't nothing else comes into your mind and so I was very much like that um interestingly I know you've had Taz McKenzie in here but Taron mm-hmm. Retired because he felt sick and didn't like all that. Well, I always felt sick. I don't know if you do, but I was so nervous as a Sometimes rider. I do. It's weird, I yeah, of the yeah. time, Especially somewhere like the Isle of Man, you know, oh, yeah, I don't that's why I've never yeah. shits before I even get to oh, the grid. I was, say but that, yeah. I was always so focused, uh and and just that kind of often sitting on the grid thinking, What am I doing here? Yeah, that feeling that's quite yeah. a funny well, feeling Why am I say especially when it starts raining? Yes, yeah. It's raining and you don't want <laughs> tires to shit, put in, do you? Yeah. And and whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then at the end of it you go, that's why I'm here. And and then you are walking around On cloud nine If you've been on the podium Or something like that But yeah I was pretty organised Pretty focused And took racing Very very seriously If I had one issue I wasn't brave enough I genuinely didn't I'm allergic to To make a to move Or to I think I think I probably Was uh, able to accept finishing second rather than winning and that's kind of the opposite of someone like Carl Fogarty. You know what? Didn't he didn't care,
2: he'd send it for first. Whatever. No,
0: yeah. And I reckon I worked it. I was a kind of a, a, a fella percentage man, I guess you'd say. Won lots of races. Um, hence, and I'm going to jump a bit here, I ended up in truck racing and you're less likely to die in a truck on a bike. So I was able to give it my 100%. And I reckon I rode my motorcycles Bearing in mind that the tracks were pretty dangerous in my days. Very dangerous. We wore golf gloves instead of normal, you know, like it was, everything was as thin you as your You like. of hay. Exactly, <laughs> and, and went under straw boughs and yeah. hit catch fence posts and, and that was if you're lucky, else you hit an arm co-barrier. So I think my career was probably a 97%, 98% and, and I got beaten by people that wanted to go 100%. But you're but here but today, you exactly. walk in fine. I was just about yeah. to say, I could count 15 people I knew very, very well that aren't here today. Because of the yeah, they hit the barriers when Some they of were the probably pushing the. Some
2: like Alton Park, you should just come out of shell, just go full yeah. gas over the hill, yeah, and then up into um, Clay Hill, yeah, I know. yeah, yeah.
0: And there was no runoff areas. The track was like a motocross track. Bikes were
2: seizing left, right. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> you had your finger on the clutch all the time because it was going to seize up. You were wearing leathers that. You know, you might as well been wearing your pajamas. Quite honestly, I'm covered in burns all that over. That one
2: where them. you said you make the man the Mongolian goat. Um, oh yeah, The Out Mongolian, Mongolian goat skin, skin, and the
0: flipping lashed it.
2: Was made a knicker lashed Just stood up, crashed, stood up, and just stood, stood up. up
0: in my underpants. Yeah. And um.
2: Um, I've got to ask the question: When you went, so obviously you went from like you and your mates mucking in, smashing bits of bike together. When you got that factory Suzuki ride, do you remember seeing the bike for the first time and how it felt? Do you yeah. remember? Just going, oh my God. Uh, Absolutely. How am I allowed to ride this bike? Yeah. yeah. No question about it. It Because that moment for me, like, no matter what Stage or level or anything you're at in your Mm. career that when you get to your new race bike Mm. your new partnership like your new starting having a new wife for the year if you like it's amazing isn't it and you look at it and you think fucking hell this Mm. is did you think what have I done to do this yeah yeah. Yeah, because I'd come from the bikes that
0: I owned and a bit of sponsorship even when I was sponsored by Harold Copper and latterly a lovely fellow called Dave Moore who who pretty much mortgaged his life for me he bought me my first RG500 and a TZ750 his wife hated me because she wanted a new kitchen and I kept crashing his bike and he couldn't afford the new kitchen and so on but yeah when you get to be on a factory bike you start looking at it and and I was more excited about the titanium bolts in that, it, and yeah, the like, magnesium yeah. this and the yeah, and you just oh. kind of yeah you just want to cuddle it yeah, and take just, it to bed with it. you. yeah um, and then all of a sudden, after halfway through the season, you're going, this flipping thing ain't fast enough still. Because that's the problem, isn't yes, it, all I the time. Know. The first time you get on something really powerful, you think it's going to pull your arms off. And then by four races, it's like not fast enough. But yeah, I think having a team manager, having a truck full of spares, when, oh, look, that brake caliper looks a bit worn. Oh, get another one. Yeah. You know. And instead of going back to your mum or whoever you might I be, need and be saying, four can I borrow pre- 100 quid? Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, you had all that coming into you. Uh, but, The nerves got more and more because you've got people all behind you on the private bikes. And if they beat you, you made you look a twat, didn't it? So there's more and more pressure put upon you. The bigger, further up the tree you go, the more pressure there is on you the target is on your back all the time but yeah I can distinctly remember that just travelling around not having to pay for my own hotel well I never had a hotel I had a caravan or slept in the back of the van all of a sudden you're you're stopping in a hotel and you're being shipped around and probably a business class seat and so on and so on sleeping all
2: night not working on your bike breakfast before you turn up and ride yeah yeah yeah, it's magnificent though isn't it and obviously like back then like we were saying like those were like proper like the glory days of motorcycle Mm. racing would be those years wouldn't Mm. they like like we said like we've obviously Barry's and, and, and who else was your competitors then? Giacomo oh, Agostini okay, I'll I never yeah.
0: forget First time I raced against Giacomo That was in 77 I'm on the factory um, Suzuki He was on the factory Yamaha, I think And I'm at Spa with him, Pat and myself There was four of us uh, battling for... A spa? A th- oh. Spa That was then We're talking 14, 15 kilometres It was before the, proper the short track. circuit yeah. The proper track It went up and it went through villages and... Chicanes yeah. at 100 mile and 120 mile an hour, no runoff area in anyway. there. Anyway, I'm bobbing around there with Patton and Ago and not Rouge, I can't remember Philip Coulon, I think it was. And I'm going down the straight there, and, and you used to slipstream. It's like you've not, you've not raced at the northwest, no. have you? But you go, you've seen it, and yeah. it's like boom, boom, maybe Constantly three changing, Yeah. down one straight. Well, Spa was the same, three or four slipstreams. So all of a sudden, I'm passing Ago. And I'm I'm looking, like trying to look at the rev count and see when the temperature, and I'm looking across, and I'm going, I can't believe this, it's Giacomo Agostini, 15 times world champion. I'm going I'm past a, him. And I'm, I'm, I'm overtaking him. And anyway, and then he gets in my slip, comes back past and I can see the look in his eyes, he's looking across going, who the fuck is that? Do you
2: think he thought, <laughs> I'm fucking past Steve Parrish, yeah? No, he, he thought, who <laughs> the bloody hell is that?
0: I'd have never heard of him. Yeah. Never seen or heard of him before. Yeah. So that, and then we've become quite good friends in latter life, but... I am up against Tepi Lancer, um uh so there was Ago, Tepi Lancer, Banera, all these sort of big name people that that um, Christian Saron it would have been, there was Barry, Michel Rougeray a uh, lot of people oh Valentino Rossi Graziano Rossi I was racing against him a lot in the days and there was this little shitty kid walking around the palace with a little scooter getting out of everyone's annoying everyone hearts, annoying everyone with this yeah. little scooter bombing around so yeah I am all of a sudden out there with all my heroes, and you've done exactly the same um, and it's just kind of weird and
2: eventually they just became competitors normal and, yeah they're normal people that you, you hate how was, was you, Barry if you beat him was he alright wanker or did, did yeah you he didn't, a bit he didn't like it. it was a bike yeah, problem, okay, problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I remember him falling off in front of me at uh, Druids oh. I think it was at Brands and he was convinced it was a big greasy worm I on bet he was like come <laughs> on because yeah,
2: me and yeah. Josh Brooks actually joke about right. that yeah. like, I said to him the other day like, he had a crash and I said i oh, to be mm. fair I was hoping you did your collarbone to be mm. just so you're out for a race but you're all right. give us a chance yeah and yeah. and just a bit of banter and yeah. I imagine it like that like yeah. it's yeah. Uh,
0: it, it was a bit like that Barry didn't like uh yeah having mistakes I guess none of us really do no. but but he found it quite tough to take on the chin as I said he had so much self confidence and he'd always there'd be a bike problem or whatever and but,
2: check, check, but it. check
0: it check it's it it's great <laughs> you've you, you're hobbling around with a bad foot but the only thing I'm going to say to you is thank goodness that, that was a tyre problem because if it's you it's
2: harder to get it back together again. Well, you do. You, and when it's you, you kind of go... Oh. It's easy now, though, I think, because with our bikes now, obviously, I don't know, Data. We, we just look at that and go... Oh. We weekend, had a red and come the and a temperature gauge, I mean. that was it. But we go now, oh, do you know what? I held the brake for two metres longer. Yeah. yeah. Right, that's easy. Sure. I just won't hold the brake for two metres longer. So it's quite easy in that respect now. But it's... Mm. Um, yeah, we yeah. had no, no. nothing whatsoever. So you could blame the bike.
0: No, it was easy. So Barry just yeah.
2: blamed
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> Jumping around here, when yeah. I went to truck race, now there's as much data as you guys have got. And they used to come in, oh, you did this and you did mm. that. And I remember having a big crash one time. And they go, oh. oh, what? what
2: you, I said I had a wasp in my helmet. Did you? Yeah. They couldn't spot that. That's, um, that's we'll get onto the truck racing yeah, I want to talk to yeah. you about that who's your worst competitor in racing and did you used to prank competitors as a bit of a mental dig at them like, like sort of get them out of their rhythm their routine their like
0: yeah, their but, zone yeah but it, it, all you could do you couldn't really prank them with a like no a, but couldn't you
2: do shit like throw like bird, like um bread on the mo- roof of their yeah, motorhomes yeah, you could do shit, that but so what you do, what go do more
0: yeah. than anything is make sure that you unplug their electric when you're in the paddock at spa <laughs> or something like that or better still someone you really didn't like You uh, some, and a lot of the the paddocks were really slopey. Yeah. I guess there isn't any like that now, but you'd park, make sure you park above them and then pull your bloody oh, shit drainer out drain around. Make yeah. sure it runs
2: under their awning and things like that. Oh, and, I did that before by <clears throat> accident, that was terrible at Hot yeah. Donington Park. Right. Oh, the yeah. smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So those, those are the type of things. You used to have to rush. And this is genuine. You'd rush to every paddock to get there before other people else. There was no electricity. There was no water. You parked at the far end and there was no toilets anywhere near you. So it was always this mad rush of getting to the paddock before the next person. It was, And in fact, I mentioned Philip Coulon earlier. We were really good friends. We kind of raced a lot together. Uh, and we got really pissed at Assen one Saturday night, remembering the races, races on, on the Saturday. Ra- no, no, no. Oh, the race used to be Saturday. Saturday. only changed about five years ago. But the race was on the Saturday. We got arselled in the paddock bar. Uh, and he had a beautiful girlfriend that I was always chasing after, and I think he was after mine and anyway, we won't go into that. But I remember oh, he was all hooked up London. He was all hooked up to go off to we used to go from Assen to Spa and it was only two and a half, three hour drive. And it was a get up early who was gonna get up earliest in the morning and go down there and get the best parking spot. I unhitched his flipping caravan but didn't show it you know just jacked it up a little yeah, bit and yeah, took yeah. everything out so the wires were all pull <laughs> and he drove all the way to Spa <laughs> and he, he hadn't got his caravan Let's turn around and go back took him all day oh. and, and the funny thing was because there's no mobile phones or anything nah. he spent the whole trip probably going at 25 mile an hour looking in every field to see if he could find oh, his caravan mate. and there it was parked at Assen
2: honestly Lesson. the pranks <clears throat> I couldn't yeah I, you, hmm. you just must have had all your mates must have just been mm. like do you know what not on eggshells, just... because yeah. even some of the stuff you do now like mm. we always talk I always mm. talk about the NEC things oh, yeah. melting uh, <laughs> chocolates and with condoms in mm. and just watching people chew them like mm. I don't touch any food when I go to the, <laughs> the NEC bike show I literally leave all of that you, food alone you're not the only one sandwiches, Maria Costello people walk in there go all them sandwiches and I go mate don't. have a little look at what's in that yeah. parish has been around mate there's um, and I could just see you just like eagle eye over one side just kind of <laughs> calm just looking around but just waiting <laughs> knowing that you've done something we got uh, Maria Costello Hello, must be five years ago. now. She came in and she's always around the pack. She
0: always wants to stupidly leaves her handbag with us. <clears throat> well, this particular year, and I'm going to say five or six years ago, we'd all been invited to the Supercross that was on in Birmingham <laughs> in the same town. The guy that has something to do with the NEC has something to do with the Supercross. So we all got these VIP tickets and we all go there. And you have to queue up security and, em- em- well, if you empty your pockets or whatever. Of course, Maria's got a bag. Straight away, security tip her bag upside so down. This massive big tube of Durex <laughs> lube comes flying out. She's going, it- It's not mine. It's not mine. The bloke goes, Yeah, well, they all, all right, say that, yeah, darling. Yeah. And she's don't know what to do. So she hates coming anywhere near me. Oh, she's I always, do love a she's, prank. She's always a bit panicky. Yeah, yeah, with condoms in people's pockets. Steph Sheen, Barry's wife, uh, whenever I go and stay with her, I always have a little bit of a prank with her. And I've put some condoms underneath the passenger seat visor, sun visor. So whoever gets in there drops it and it's going to the shit out of her. Well, it was her mum the first time she <laughs> took it out and I'd flown back to England. Her mum condom drops on her lap. She tries to open it, thinks it's chewing gum. Oh, my she's, God. her old peepers are not so good. So poor old
2: Steffa says, no, no, mum, you can't open that. And so then it caused a bit of an issue. That is carnage, isn't it? One of my, um, one of my questions with the racing side of things was when, when you raced the championships, was, it, was TT part of the championship? Was it an actual round... It, and could it, you drop that round or did you have to always do it? I, it was in fact my first year riding for Suzuki was the
0: first year it wasn't. Was that
2: transatlantic round. it was called the series or was it? No, 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 this, no. TT
0: was always a world championship since oh, okay. it started. I think I'm going to punch a date 190 whatever it was. It then became uh, a round of the world championship oh, okay. right the way up until 76 was the last year it was a round of the world championship apart from that's the what I call Motor GP, five yeah. hundred GP two fifty three. Then it became Formula One World Championship, which was kind of a not such a high level. It was yeah. like early days superbike. So when I first went there in 77, uh, it wasn't actually around of the Motor GP Championship. But a lot of riders did drop it uh, because and they it was right to do so it was ridiculous to expect someone like marco lucanelli from italy to go and learn the tt for one round it was stupid so barry ago phil reed all got together and they managed to persuade the fim to drop it as a round of the championship so when i went there i didn't have to go for the championship but i sort of had to go for suzukis because they wanted me to do it so i went there for them when i rode for suzukis and tragically my teammate pat hennon had his big accident there in 78, who genuinely was going to be a big competitor for Barry. He was fast American, probably would have won the 500 Championship maybe before Kenny Roberts possibly because he was fast, he was battling for the lead at the TT and had a horrible accident there. Was Um, he killed at the TT then? He wasn't killed, but he was was like mentally injured, uh, brain damaged. Um, And so many riders were at that period and it was... um, I used to go there, but again, with... Did you, this you enjoy of the TT or like, I yeah. hated going there. I hated sitting on the grid, but I loved doing it. And the feeling after of be it surviving oh, as such. Yeah. Uh, incredible. You're walking around like sort of, you're on cloud nine, that, uh, probably because you're still alive, but yeah. secondly because you had this most amazing race, riding this most incredible circuit... Close that roads. Is absolute madness over bumps and jumps, mm. and you're flying through the air, and you're passing people, waving their programmes, and, and at the finish you're just uh, just elated by it I made it, it. Mm, absolutely i once got a third there and then got disqualified oh, my yeah. best result was a third in 85 and then alleged fuel tank was oversized or something like that so. But the
2: atmosphere as well in those days is just different level, weren't it? Like I we was saying, like came pissed off at that. Oh, yeah. Uh, the story of when you <laughs> when you qualified for Barry one time because he was too hungover. Well,
0: actually, I'm going to – and this story actually gets uh, em- embellished, I guess you could say. He wasn't drunk. And, and no, I'll tell okay, you where this yeah. story's come from, uh, James Whittam oh, and Carl okay. Fogarty. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, uh, as you probably know, I, I used to do a theatre show. I've only just finished it this year, my last year, ten years doing the MAD tour. Which my daughter used to host, and it was called the the My Adolescent Dad, hence it was M A D. Well, the reason I started doing the Mad Tour, which was ten years ago, because Foggy and Whittam had a show called the Foggy and Whittam Show, and they were going around the country doing. I remember this, they? Yeah, I remember kind of donut, yeah. doing these things, and I'd always get Wit come up to me going, "Oh bloody hell, we were in Scunthorpe last night, uh, and we ran out of things to talk about with half an hour to go, so we used all your stories. Like, hey, bollocks <laughs> to that! Oh, that's God. not right. So yeah. I then. <laughs> I approached my daughter and I said, look, this this, we've got a theatre show here, let's do it, would you do it? And she agreed to do it. So I'd go off and I'd be telling my stories of what went on and I'd talk about this particular story at Mallory Park when Barry actually didn't, wasn't hungover, what had happened is his screw had come loose on his knee or something had happened.
2: casual but so Um, awful. And and
0: something had come loose and his knee locked up and he came in after free practice at Mallory Park on a one-day event which used to be, Free practice at nine, qualifying at 12, race at two and four or something like that. I think it was the post-ET. Anyway, they had to lift him off the bike, couldn't open his leg up. So Franco, his dad, put him in the back of the Rolls, covered him up with a coat or blanket and took him off to see an osteopath to see if they could fix him up. Hence, he was going to miss qualifying. So my team manager, can you imagine this happening now with Davido Brivio? My team Team manager, uh, Rex White comes up and says, Steve, uh, look, it's a bit much to ask, but I've got something quite serious. Barry's had to go see the osteopath. He's going to miss qualifying. If he misses qualifying, they won't let him start the race. And it's a Shell Sport 500cc championship, which we were both competing we need sponsors,
2: in. wouldn't need him in there, blah, yeah, blah, blah, exactly. usual story.
0: Would you, by any way, take his bike out and do some laps on it? But unfortunately, you're going to have to have the number seven on and you're going to have to have his leathers and helmet on. Everything. I said, bloody right, I will. It's yeah, the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. So sure enough, at 12 o'clock, practice happens. They put me on Barry's bike. I came out through the awning because no one had garages in, shot through as fast as I could, out onto the track at Mallory, three laps wearing everything of his boots, gloves, apart from his underpants, I'd got everything, everything. We were exactly the yeah. same size. You wouldn't know what 10 stone is, but we stuck rigidly to weigh in 10 stone. I guess that's probably... 50 something kilos. Just a thing
2: between you that you was like, right, let's
0: just, yeah. work we, we, well. we used to do a bit of gym work, not a lot, and we'd eat and drink accordingly to weigh 10 stone you've got to remember those bikes weren't very powerful and a 10 or 12 stone would have made a huge difference. Massively, yeah. So off I go and the funny thing was I get to Mallory Hairpin and there's girls waving underwear at me. They have no idea there's a bloke with a big nose and big ears underneath the helmet. So they're all thinking it's Barry Sheen and they're screaming waving their knickers (laughs) at me and everything else. Yeah, Give us your number. (laughs) So I did three laps, came in, shot straight back into the awning. There was a couple of journalists, oh what's up with Barry's bike? He's only done three laps and Uh, Martin Ogborn Rex White Said "Oh, I wouldn't go anywhere near him The disc valve's broken He's really pissed off Really angry He's gone back in the caravan At this point I'm getting changed In my leathers Put my gear on My mechanic Martin Brookman's got My bike all warmed up Off I go Probably had 15-20 minutes Left of the session Changed the gear And went down A tooth Got it dead on Jetting was dead right Came back in, and again, it's, it's alien to you, but there was no electronic timekeeping. It would be four old ladies in the control booth with a pen, with a stopwatch, and they're going, yeah, that number six, number seven. So you had to wait probably half an hour, 45 minutes, and they would literally handwritten on the toilet block at Mallory Park and behind that glass the cage grade or whatever, there. Yeah. and there it would be Barry comes back they snuck him back in Stavros how'd it go I said it's alright your bike's fine exactly the same as mine we've changed the gearing on it the same as mine where did we qualify I said I've no idea I haven't even looked but I'm sure it'll be alright go up there on the glass thing there it is front row number 7 Barry Sheen <laughs> row 2 Steve Parrish number 6 I fucking out qualified <laughs> myself you I don't know. It must have been the underwear. all well, the knickers waved at them. gone were they? when you went out. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. yeah. They were was it waved everyone? at him in front, oh, yeah, so yeah. And he ended up winning the race, and I got second. So it all turned out. How did good.
2: you not go out there and on purposely mess the lap up to get your mate qualifying behind you?
0: I don't know. Why it, did you? How did you do it. That? I guess it was stupid. I was actually did so excited. Did you get front row bonus? He had a better bike than me. Did you get the front
2: road bonus? No, I don't think you ever paid me that. Oh, that's
0: out. that's big rookie mistake there. But genuinely. Uh, I really thought Imagine I rode the bikes exactly the same and I suspect his bike he had got the later model bike that's my excuse and I'll stick was it, to it
2: nicer to ride or was yeah, quite it quite it was
0: actually really good he'd set it up nicely he was good at setting bikes up and it had a little bit more grunt it was different bore and stroke to mine I had the 70 in fact I had 77 season I had Barry's bike from 76 that he'd won the world championship and he got the next model so that's how it worked out and, then and I could have been famous yeah
2: well, you was for that, mm. for them three yeah, laps. Yeah, yeah. And then after your uh, successful, obviously, career racing, you mm. went on to be a successful team manager. You, you did. had a really good run, didn't you, that? Absolutely, yeah. So I did you had, manage um, the truck racing teams before you did it yourself, or did you...
0: I was juggling everything. I retired in 86. Was you like a
2: Dell boy? Was you like... Very much well, yeah, so, just yeah, Just yeah. whatever, yeah, whatever was paying, cars, bills, or whatever you know. Man. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> not it's mileage correction. Oh, is that what it's called That's now? That's what it right, is, okay. Yeah. Okay, anyway, not that I know that, I no, just, you but know, you've heard it said, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be Taz McKenzie
0: told you, it? yeah, Neil, Neil, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt, <be> definitely Neil. <laughs> but in '86, I had got to where I was going to get, I'd got fed up with waking in strange hospitals, I'd got a bit of a dodgy ankle from crashing and this, that, and the other. So, and, and my daughter was ready to be born, she was born in '87, so family, I'd got married. Madness, I know. Um, in fact, that first marriage, I now switched to put the wedding video on backwards and watch you get in the car and fuck off, and it cheers me up. <laughs> um, so, though, what happened, it was all kind of coming together. So, and I'd raced competitively for 10 or 12 years. Hang on, did had the marriage time.
2: cost you a load of money? Loads oh, and loads shit, and loads. It's a yeah. then. I know. And when I left, no, anyway. I took
0: my bag, and she said, I hope you have a slow, miserable death. I said, Now you want me to stay? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, um, no marriage talk. <laughs> but I had a really good sponsor with Loctite at Ease's his thread-locking company who wanted to continue. So I said, well, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. Yamaha, I'd been with Yamaha racing for the last four years. Yamaha wanted to continue. I said, I'll run the team. And that's exactly what I did. Loctite gave us the money. Yamaha gave us the bikes. I employed two riders in 87, Trevor Nation, Keith Hewin. It was Reasonably successful. Keith Ewing won the super stock class for us championship.
2: How is it managing people from going from racing to managing? Because you, you, you feel as though you can like, do better than them, them for come, a start. Yeah.
0: Exactly. They're not doing what you think they should be doing. But if you tell them what you're doing, they get fed up with you. And so it's it's a balancing act, you know. There's lots of times when you're managing someone, you've got to if they want that yellow wheel paint in that rear wheel paint in yellow, you've got to do it, because that's in their head. So I didn't enjoy it and then they went and won the race and they're going on the back of the truck waving at people and you're stood there with your flipping stopwatch. So
2: I'm just a team manager now. Yeah,
0: so (laughs) I I carried on 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. Five years I did running the team, which got bigger and better. It became the biggest team in the UK with Terry Ryan and Rob McElnay. Uh, we won the Superbike Championship it was uh, yeah. but couldn't have had it. Terry Reimer must be yours he light. was 6'2 6'3 he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he was the tallest and Rob Matt was the fattest and
2: smallest uh, yeah. was he, he, small- he was
0: like the widest <laughs> I guess you could say it was like the burly Humber side <laughs> everyone used to say it was like slipstreaming a truck <laughs> but anyway um, we had FZ 750 Yamahas then OW one the right. won lots of championships with them both Terry and Rob won the British Championship Terry won a round of the World Superbikes in New Zealand so it was all going really well but then truck racing too turned up. In between all this, so I'm now doing the odd truck race, having to duck and dive a bit from some of the races because I'm committed to be a, a truck race. Must have been good money for you to go truck racing. It was. Yeah, it, that was the And key. they were trying to
2: attract different um, <clears throat> yeah. professionals from different they backgrounds There were they well.
0: lots of car racers in it. There was Martin Brundle racing in one, there was Stig Blomqvist from rally and myself uh, a whole bunch of people from other sports getting that's into quite truck That's cool, racing. yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's was cool, cool, yeah. And I'm driving these trucks and I'm doing good. So much so that in 1990, the Mercedes factory team, I'm driving a truck from Mercedes UK. Mercedes factory team invites me over for a test. So I go over there and they'd got three drivers, two Germans, one Czech driver. Uh, And they're the full factory guys with all S-class Mercs given to them. And it was the same contract as uh, DTM. You know, it's like big money go for test. I'm two seconds, well one and a half seconds faster than all the factory drivers so straight away contract put in front (laughs) of me so I then, I'm going well do I carry on running my team or do I sign this proper serious money truck racing so I had to do, I had to give one up and Yamaha kind of didn't want me going off doing too many of the other things spoke to um, all the bosses at Yamaha at the time, uh, Andy Smith who's a lovely guy and he fully accepted it and Rob was about to retire, Rob who was about to retire from bike racing as well, he had 80, he had 92 as player manager, as such, still riding with James Whittam and running the team. And I pretty much handed the whole lot over to Rob and went off truck racing. And from 91 to 2001, I won five world championships for Mercedes,
2: getting paid shitloads of money, giving giving me two new cars every year and living the dream, I guess. That's say. mega, though, isn't it? Yeah, is that so? Because actually, thinking of like like racing a truck now, I think it'd be more fun than racing a car like do you know a car you're mm. quite safe the trucks mm. obviously they're big they don't they don't hold back they're rapid aren't they very rapid what was but, it like though like if you was like if you met a woman and you said oh yeah what do you do yeah, that, trucks that, like, like i'm a lorry driver well you're a lorry driver <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah 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 I'd show um, the i've got a tattoo i've got a tattoo
0: actually yeah, okay. oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so but it, you're absolutely right but the weird thing about it and i get it asked all the time how can you possibly go from motorcycles to trucks well there's a far more uh, Similarity, uh, correlation, I guess you'd say, because a, a motorbike, as you well know, and you'll talk to people that race cars, and particularly if you race a formula car, you lay apex, everything, you turn it, and you fire it out yeah. the corners, and so on, and so. On. A motorbike's all about smooth lines. I know we talk about squaring corners often, to a certain extent, do, but nothing like cars. No. Cars, literally, if they, you know, you and watch you just the guys full and they gas. Just, <laughs> and they can just turn it and fire it yeah. and full gas and spin it and so on, and so. On. Well, a truck was very much like a bike because it weighed five thousand kilos. 5 tons it didn't want to go around corners so you had to, so you had to it. coax it and you had to be so so smooth you had to all the time turn in nice and early let the understeer pick up get on the throttle and I felt that my lions bike racing were far better than all the car racing guys, and I think I proved it really. And that's so, why it helped you be successful in absolutely. a truck probably because no knew. doubt about it. And when I had a crash, all it did was smash the arm coat of bits or anything that was in front of it. That's mad. Uh, yeah, I think I used to work out if you lost the brakes at Druids at Brands in a truck, you'd probably take out Maidstone or something <laughs> like that. You'd end up <laughs> down <laughs> at Dover. You would yeah. So it actually worked really well. But on top of this, I'm still juggling because now I'm commentating as well, okay. doing my trucks and. BBC and Eurosport and Sky, I'm doing a bit for them. I got hooked up with Jack Burnickle doing stuff for Eurosport, and did some stuff with Keith Ewing at Sky. So on weekends off from truck racing, I'm still... Doing a bit, keeping my eye on the bike side, and working for those guys. She's so, busy, very busy. Just uh, I, nice I to be did busy. the air, Red Bull air races. I was doing the commentary that's for called, that. that. That's Got into s- flying. That's yeah, cool. That is pretty mad as well. Yeah, they
2: yeah. are. They mm. show some commitment in those planes, don't they? But the planes do everything they need to do. Yeah, but you don't want quick, to be in one. I flew clear. with them
0: a few times. They're pulling. Back then, up to twelve G, and you literally start greying out. It's do quite, you actually? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, you really do. In oh, they, they have special, they do special exercises that manage to squeeze themselves to stop the blood all running out of their head and everything else like that.
2: Oh, so that, so when they say they do the, the training for the it, G, it's so physical they actually, training. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that
0: because I've flown with the Red Arrows a couple of times, and you actually wear a G suit when you're flying with them because it. It's got like a pair of
2: like compression compression in
0: your legs and stop all your blood running away and things like that. Yeah, oh, it still <sighs> runs out your penis. Loved
2: it. Yeah, yeah, not my little thing. No, no. Right, we're going to move on to a little section I have of the podcast, okay. and it's basically a track review. So it can be any of your, it can be the, those favourite track, um, and it's yeah, just uh, if we just called it the track review. I've got not not got a fancy name for it yet. Okay, it could be anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, your favourite track, Anderstorp, Sweden. Was it ever like a road circuit or No, was it it's proper, proper track. track. But the
0: girls were unbelievable. Were they, yeah? Oh, the Swedish, Swedish ladies there. Yeah, Swedish, Swedish ladies. Swedish, yeah. But I actually had some of my best races, Anderstorp in Sweden, and I think it was a bank, had a lot of bank corners. I awesome. just kind of really got into the bank corners and things like that. It beautiful country. You, it was, uh, yeah, beautiful country, very pretty girls. And from there, you went up to Finland, which was also very pretty girls, but it was a road circuit in Finland, so I preferred Anderstorp out of the So, top. did
2: you just basically pick your favourite tracks based on how fit the women were everywhere. Just a certain yeah, extent. So, so, if you went somewhere and the girls yeah. were not very good looking, well, you, have you to, that's a shit Put track. it this way, Why you had to
0: enjoy the fish and chips at Scarborough. <laughs> Why is that, that track
2: all shit? Them? Bike not work well. No, mate, women are ugly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, no worries. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. So, right, so that track, that's your favourite track. What's your most memorable moment of that track? Uh, <laughs> I
0: can't remember her name now um, <laughs> uh, I can't remember Anika Anita, I think No yeah, 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 um, yeah. Probably uh, Having quite a Quite a moment there You know like When you don't crash And you think you should have done When you um, almost You actually have let go of the bike I should have and died yeah. No not die But I should have yeah. crashed Big Star And, and a stop uh, as you came past the pit area and it was a long, long right-hander, probably one close on 180 degree full, bank corner. Full gas. Full on, the third gear corner. So we're talking 100 mile an hour. And I came out there, lost the rear end of the TZ500, straightened mm. it up, and it all of a sudden pointed me straight off the track. But there was had to be six to eight foot drop the other side of the corner, oh, which went shit. on to, can you believe, an airfield runway. Shut So up. Yeah. I got it all together, and the next thing I know, I am literally flying through the air, six foot up, a hundred mile an hour, and managed to land it, locks to lock to lock and everything else, and managed to get back in, and I think I still finished seventh or something like that. But from that point on, my TZ500 for the whole of the rest of the season I had a big picture of an aeroplane on it, because like I had been an aeroplane, I'd taken off, and landed on a runway. So
2: that point you thought, I'm
0: down. I'm down. I thought, I was, yeah, I mean, I was just waiting
2: to, for the... Because even when you the, landed it, you probably thought, this is going wrong. I was, I was waiting to see what ambulance I was going to be in. Yeah. And it
0: landed. And luckily, there was just a whole big runway in front of me. So I managed to all get it together. That, so that's probably my most memorable thought of Anderstorp. Should have been results. I finished fourth in the Grand Prix there
2: about three times. Favourite part of the track? Uh, Favourite part of the track. Finishing line at the end of the race the end of the race yeah. checkered flag I guess Bub. and um, that just that moment you said about that rear locking up that's just that frontal view of Barry doing that at uh, Daytona that- yeah
0: tyre burst what you had yeah, yeah. literally just a, a tyre exploded with uh, 170 mile an hour on the clock he was in it a pickle was. weren't he that was bad he was luckily not I mean serious you broken legs point- broken arms and everything else but not kind of Head injuries or anything else like that.
2: Was you mates with him at that point as well? No, No, never met him. That was 75.
0: Never met him. I'd seen. I had the picture on the wall when I met him. That was it. Yeah. That's. uh... And Barry admitted. That made him famous. He just happened to have a documentary team with him that were doing a doco on him that filmed it. That was crazy. Yeah. But not the way to get famous. I've got
2: <laughs> I've got some some of the your your funny stories. Obviously, there's there's a few things that come up on Google of you. Um and the first one here is burning down a toilet block in Finland. Mm. Is that has that been uh, mm. was that was that that was planned. Did that happen? yeah It did
0: happen. <laughs> it was planned. Because, and again, my it was my first year there, Finland. I said, a bird "Good-looking women
2: pretty, in Finland." Oh, again? okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was a good track
0: then. That's where Jarno <laughs> Saarinen was from, and his gorgeous white girlfriend. Anyway, uh, it was great. Dodgy track. Railway, literally a railway crossing. You went over. You went through villages and everything else. It would have been eight miles round, I guess, something like that. Loved the place Had a big lake Right by the paddock And when I said the paddock The paddock just happened to be A big area where It was the local town Of Imatra's Running athletics track We used to just park cows And caravans And vans on it Put your awning out No garages No nothing Just a big area So everyone was there Like I say With a van And a caravan But First time I went there, I loved it, this big lake that you went swimming in, so we spent four or five days in canoes and everything else. Oh,
2: that sounds nuts, Beautiful,
0: but you weren't allowed outboard engines because it was this crystal clear water, so you had to wear a cap to go in it. That's how clear the water was, and the finish were a bit anal about it. So at the end of the meeting, Barry said, I love the girls and everything else up here, but I can't stand these flipping toilet block, and there was literally a cubicle of three for men and one for women there, and there would be 500 competitors there because then there was 50cc... Two, one, two, five, 250, 500 sidecars, five classes, grids of fifty people. yeah And the toilet blocks were always overflowing, it was disgusting. So at the end of the meeting, everyone's packing their awnings and tents and folding them up. Barry comes over says, Stavros, we're going to get rid of this toilet block. I'm going, what are you going to do it What do you mean? Yeah. He said, well get that Avgas, and we had twenty litres of <laughs> Avgas, bring it with you. And he said, uh, we got fifty metres away from the toilet block. Barry stops with his fag on, he said... Tell you what, Stowas, he said, I'll stand guard. <laughs> you <laughs> you go. just go and spread all the fuel around. So I did exactly that. If Barry Sheen tells you he wants yeah. petrol spread, right, make no sure there's no one who spread it all around, left a trail of it going back to him. He lit it, and I think at that time we wish we'd gone to our chemistry classes because <laughs> the methane gas kicked in. This thing just exploded, and the toilet, the shit house roof, blew across the paddock and ends up in a lake that you have to oh, wear a cap oh, to shit. go swimming in it. Yeah. And there was Tom Heron, I think it was John Eckerald and Cork Ballington, were folding the tents up and all the shit spreading down. And was oh oh my up. god! <laughs> so it didn't good. go down quite as well. But anyway, I went back in '78, brand new toilet block. So I feel, so I feel as though I've improved the toilet facilities
2: around the world it worked Yeah. It worked and did completely. did the roof so what happened to the Because there was there a big did you get arrested was there any arrest security guards came or Did you just plead uh, ignorance pleaded, we walked off into the crowd and
0: they were looking around for everything and there's an even there's another edge to this story and it was in my theater show i was at the Isle Man tt with my wife michelle who's outside here filming for uh itv4 for the tt standing in a cafe at jerby airfield while it was raining, this would be six years ago. A lady taps me on the shoulder. She said, Mr. Parish, she was from Finland. No, well, she was from Sweden. She said, I know you. And I said, Oh, do we? I didn't know. And I'm trying to be polite. I was in the paddock in Finland in 1977 with my husband, Esso. We were parking next to the old shit house. She <laughs> and she said it just like this. And we didn't know what happened. All of a sudden, the shithouse exploded. <laughs> the, P- the police came. The security came. They asked my husband, Esso, what is happening here? And Esso says nothing. He said he didn't see anything. And the police say you must have seen something. And I'm this is exact words. You must have seen. He said I saw nothing. So they took him away to the police station. So Esso gets arrested for not oh, telling the story, not grasping us up. Yeah. And sadly, Esso's died now. But so- it would have
2: been quite obvious it was you and Barry oh, Sheen exactly He did the lighting himself <laughs> laughing.
0: Yeah, watched us do the whole lot, but he didn't grasp us up. Yeah. And uh, they had the- a
2: night in the prison. The next one is um, I'm going to skip this one. Actually, I, I want to go back. Yeah. The what about the the medical director or something for Hopkins to fly to Australia oh yeah yeah what about yeah. that one what was that one was never gotten.
0: I've never been so scared <laughs> of pulling a prank that went wrong um, I've got Hopkins gets on the plane Jap, Japan Japanese Grand Prix can't remember what year uh, 96 maybe Kappa uh, Rossi's clobbered a load of people going into term one at the, the Matigi Grand Prix Hopkins goes to get on our plane going back on the Monday morning it was British Airways I even remember BA007 And it was full of all the riders, the mechanics, the press, us lot, 747. And it was the first flight back to Europe. So Hopper's getting on it. He got on it late because he'd been rushing around sorting himself out. He'd got broken ribs and a broken collarbone. So he's getting on the plane, and I'm sat opposite in the business. And he's going, he goes to put his briefcase up, and he can't. So the stewardess comes up and says, Oh, and, and you know, business class, they know your name. She said, Oh, Mr. Hopkins, I'll help you. What's the problem? And he foolishly, and I must admit I didn't even know it was the policy of BA and it is many airlines, they don't like flying people with broken ribs because of the pressure changes and they're worried about punctured lungs. So straight away, stewardess goes back to the, No, one, yeah. I didn't. So if you've got broken ribs, don't tell anyone. Yeah. So he goes, she goes back to the cabin director and says, oh, Mr. Hopkins sat in 6B, has got broken ribs. I didn't think we are allowed to fly people. He says, well, we're not. So he goes over. Big argument going on there, trying to kick Hoppo off. He's got a doctor waiting to see him when he gets back to <laughs> London. Yeah. His leathers and luggage is on the plane. So I'm sat with Charlie Cox, Susie Perry, and our producer, Belinda Rogerson, who was producer for BBC. So this is all going on, next thing I know, they're trying to get him off, and so I had to intervene, so I wandered across there, and I said, uh, hello, I've been listening to the conversation, and I understand you've got a problem with John Hopkins, um, and uh, you want to get him off, and this, that, and the other, and uh, I said, I'm a doctor. And I'm not a doctor, as you well know. So I said, I'm a doctor. And uh, luckily, on my business cards, I've got NLAMN written on it, which looks like I'm a doctor. But it actually only stands for no letters after my name because I've never (laughs) got any. So anyway, he said, well, it's not my decision. I said, He said, it's the captain. And so next thing I know, the captain's come down. And he said, I understand from my cabin director, you're a doctor. You've examined Mr. Hopkins and he's perfectly okay to fly. I said, that's right. Well, my producer at BBC, Belinda Rogers, is going, ape shit, you can't do this. You work for the BBC and you can't pretend to be a doctor. And I said, oh, shut up.
2: No one's going to even know about no, it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. She, I said, I work for the BBC Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Sunday, and it's Monday, so piss off. <laughs> so, anyway, sure enough, he looks at my card And he said Okay uh, oh, right. And so, I said I'm right. a consultant And uh, he mm-hmm. says Right Well if you sign On this piece of paper And he gets a pen You and he writes on it Captain Steve Ware in his name was BA007 Narita London John Hopkins 6B Broken Ribs Dr Parish NLAMN He writes that all on there You've certified He flies If you'll just sign this We can go Done in Literally Box ticking literally. Box ticking So off we go My producer's still going mad Susie Perry can't believe What's happening Charlie thinks it's hilarious Cutting the story relatively short, I've had a bit of food, I'm just about to put my bed down to go to sleep, I get a tap on the shoulder from the cabin director. Uh, Dr. Parrish, we've got a problem at the back of the plane. <laughs> well, now now I'm properly cracking myself. We can imagine my producer. I thought Susie Perry was going to was gonna wet herself. Ass. I honestly <laughs> thought she was going to wet herself. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I've got three options. So I go <laughs> to the toilet for the next 12 hours till we land at Heathrow. I say, I'm only kidding. I'm not a proper doctor. Or I, a... I see whatever the problem is. Oh, so know, he invites me not. back to the thing. And I've, I've watched Casualty and Holby, so I know a bit about yeah. it. Yeah.
2: You know, CPR and all that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I go to the cabin director's office under the stairs on a 747 and he just says, oh, thank you, doctor. What it is, is down the back of the plane, we've got some Spanish bloke there, Manuel, who's causing all sorts of problems. He's been drinking too much vodka. He's after more. He's upsetting all the people and the passengers and my staff down there. If you would go down there just to say he's inebriated and drunk, sign a piece of paper. We'll have him arrested when he gets to London because he's on a connecting flight down to Barcelona or Madrid. I said... I said, I'm more, I'm more orthopaedics. But under the circumstances, <laughs> I'll give you a hand in. But on one condition, we shake hands on the fact. I don't care what goes on the rest of this flight. I need my sleep because I've got operations to do when I land at Heathrow. <laughs> don't want to be troubled anymore. <laughs> so we shook hands on that. So that's got me out of this. So I go down yeah. the back. Sure enough, there's Manuel. <laughs> more yeah. vodka, more vodka. Worst thing of it is, there he is, it was one of the Dorner cameramen that I actually knew because he was there for Dorner and he's drunk going to bloody back to Madrid. He's going, hey, Steve. So I'm going, I've never seen this man before in my life. I don't know what's going on. He's yeah. obviously drunk. Walked away, signed him. Sure enough, he got arrested. As I get off the plane, he throws the police waiting for it. Poor old man, well.
2: Did he, did he mention it any he, time in the future? He's so drunk,
0: he forgot all about it. Oh, that's so, mega. Yeah. So I've never been so pleased to get off an aeroplane in my life. And oh. the final little story is, as I'm getting off as quick as I can, he's shaking hands with all the first-class people. Thank you, for the captain. Thank you for flying BA. We oh, hope to please. see you again. Yeah. Puts his hand out to me. Says, I love your commentary. The fucker knew all along. I wasn't no, a proper didn't. doctor, so he, he actually, yeah. he actually knew yeah. all along. But he, if Hopkins had <laughs> had died, I would have got the blame.
2: Yeah, that is because that's the issue, isn't it? Just box ticking. They yeah. want you just just sign no, on there. No, no. no I wonder who would have actually got the blame if Hopkins ever. I don't know, but I'd have been in the toilet. Hopkins has never
0: bought me a beer for that. As you know, no, he, he's coming he on the podcast. Oh, I'm me.
2: gonna get him on here. I'll mention that. Yeah. Right, the last story then before we move on to the other thing. Blowing up a brothel in Macau. Yeah. And are you actually banned from Macau altogether now? I was. I was banned from a country. Never had that well, before. Well, so if you went back there, what happened? Did you literally well, get arrested? I've been back,
0: no, because what happened was, when I got banned, it used to be owned by the Portuguese. So That's it was a bad like, place porc- to get
2: arrested, that is. Portuguese
0: colony owned Macau, and it changed back to the Chinese, I think, ten years ago. But at the time, I had a ban from Macau.
2: What was it with you and yeah. fireworks and I people up? I loved people a bit of and, yeah.
0: loved a bit of that. But it was all arranged... Sunday night after the race, and we'd have a giggle, we'd go to the local brothel. Who's profit. we? Who, who arranged it? Uh, I'll tell you one bloke who you wouldn't believe it. Paul Butler used to be race director of MotoGP <laughs> until it was taken over by Mike Webb. So Paul Butler, but at the time he wasn't. He was Kenny Roberts' his team manager. He was there uh, with Lucky Strike, because they were all based out there, so he was a mate of mine. Howard Lees sadly got killed in a plane crash. He was quite a good rider. And an Irish fella called Mick, and there was... Four of us. Just Mick.
2: I like Mick. It. I just didn't know oh, his other name. No, day. just Mick. Mick. Irish so Mick.
0: So we all arranged it. It'd be really good fun. Nine o'clock. And I'd bought these big fireworks. Massive fireworks for a quid because they made them all for Chinese New Year in, in Macau. So I went and bought this big firework. I said, we'll have a giggler tonight. Nine o'clock. All to get together. My job actually was getaway driver. Paul Butler, was. he was smoke cigars. He was going to light it. Howard Lees was going to roll it in and we were going to sort of just scoot off and not see it. Anyway, this thing had a shorter fuse than we thought. Howard Lees rolled it in, and off it goes. Blue paper, red paper, smoke, you name it. And we're giggling so much. I didn't even get to drive away. We wanted to watch what was going on. All the little girls with the numbers on came running out screaming. Out of the smoke, I knew half the bloody people. Oh no! Two of my mechanics, I was paying them too much, (laughs) Boot van Dolmen, Jack Middleburg, Dutch riders, came out of the smoke. But unbeknown to me and where it all went horribly wrong, sat at the bar was the chief of the Macau police's oh, driver.
2: No.
0: Chief of police was round the back, getting a backender
1: or oh, probably yeah. a front-hander. Yeah.
0: The drivers watched everything going on, followed us back to the hotel. Uh, then all the police, about 20 police turned up, come to arrest us. <laughs> They said, we're not going to take you away tonight, but we want your passport. So all the other guys gave their passports to him, but I had two
2: passports. That's a scary thing anyway. Yeah, that, I know. The, 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 so I had anyway, another
0: yeah. passport with my American visa in it, so I gave them the shitty passport. Next morning they came back to collect everyone, and Mike Trimby, who, you know, yeah, yeah. he was running the tour, so it was Trimby Tours. Police started taking all the other guys away. but They've got Butler in handcuffs and so on and so on. I've seen what's going on, shot up the, in the lift, went up the first floor, down the forest gate, down a ladder, jumped a cab, went to the hydrofoil station, shoot back to Hong Kong. So I've escaped now. I'm thinking, this is cool. They're all fucking trapped. They're the all zone. nicked. Yeah. I get a message from Mike Trimby, you've got to come back. So oh, I'm not bloody coming back there. They're all going to prison. They've impounded all the Formula 3 cars, all the motorbikes, <laughs> everything is all locked up until you, went back. Till you come back. So I have to go back. If only I'd had a phone with me back then. I get to the hydrofoil station in Macau. They've taken my picture and blown it up, and it's wanted. It's got wanted. No way, seriously. And I couldn't take a picture. That's Steve Parrish wanted. So I go all the way back there, and we spent four days in prison. And I'm (laughs) there, and this is. Three two months after I've got married to the one that, that I want to turn a video on back with, so my my marriage didn't start off well because I'm in prison for blowing up a
2: brothel. Honestly, though, that you just like I just don't know any stories these days. Do you think that people are just far too serious to know think, what they do? I think they've, I, I've just luck seems to follow me around, bad luck follows me around, trouble follows me around. It's it just, is I'm, mega, seem
0: to be in the wrong place at the wrong it time, is mega.
2: right? I've got um. I want to know. So obviously you watch, you still watch MotoGP, BSP, yeah yeah, 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 I watch BSP, avidly What's your, um, what's your predictions for the? Let's start with the MotoGP season. Who do you think? What do you think is going to happen? There? Uh, I
0: think Bagner if he stops falling off, he's that got was, the best bike, and, and he's twice he's screwed up that a little crash bit. Day was... I know. Didn't look like he did anything wrong, did it? Nah, nah, but even they were
2: saying, weren't they saying that they was all messing around with tire pressures because the temperature had dropped? the so last time
0: they're allowed to, wasn't it? That was the oh, last that? weekend. Now, they, as of the next Grand Prix, they've got moni- uh, uh. monitors on. So I think they are mucking around with tire pressures, but it didn't look like he did anything wrong. I mean, I'm not just, I'm not able him. to see the data, but you could just see him going, like, what happened? Uh, but I think he's the strongest guy out there, as long as this doesn't affect him, because yeah. he does. Eventually, if you have two crashes back-to-back, you're going to be cautious. He did it last network. year, and then he came yeah. back and won everything, back, didn't he? Yeah, so I, I think he's got to be. It's going to be a Ducati, isn't it? Mm. Almost certainly. It's, yeah, they're well, there's like five or machines. six. Of them. How good are they? They are just they you just see seem it. to come up with so many ideas. They, they're literally yeah. spearheading. They're like they're like Red Bull in F one, aren't they? They just seem to be that one step ahead.
2: And they win a championship, and they don't rest on their laurels. They no. like Bautista last year. They've come back with Absolutely. a better bike, and they'll come back with a better yeah. bike. And it almost yeah. leaves every other manufacturer yeah. going shit. Who would have thought people like Yamaha and Honda could be left in the wake of after a, how of a many European? years of success Yamaha and I Honda think have had?
0: Completely misunderstood the kind of. Technology and, and brilliance of someone like Ducati and what they're doing,
2: and yeah. Ducati almost—it's almost like for ten years they've just, or longer, they've just been pushing and pushing and pushing, and then now mm. they've just gone. Because yeah. obviously there was that time when Ducati was very dominant, and then it switched back to—I mean, what about in, in MotoGP? In obviously in your day, who would it have been? Suzuki, Honda, yeah, Yamaha. I mean,
0: Suzuki dominated it for a long while, then Yamaha really got it together, and it was, and then Honda came along with their three-cylinder, and they dominated Freddie mm. Spencer. But it was actually more riders that dominated. Than bikes, in fairness. Kenny Roberts obviously dominated a lot with Yamaha. Freddie Spencer came along and dominated with Honda. And then we had a period where Rainey was there, uh, uh, Lawson on the Yamaha. Then Freddie came back and then Schwantz came back and won a championship. So I felt it was more the rider back in those days than it was the bike. I think think it's very much the rider, but I think that difference is, I think it was probably 50-50 in my time. And I think
2: it's probably now sixty forty. Yeah. That's how I how see was it, it for you though like, when you went on obviously you went like from a Grand Prix bike to BSB bike. Mm. Like it weren't it's not a bad jump, but imagine doing that now. Like imagine doing no. that for like Bang Nights to come and ride like a yeah, but It's at happened, hasn't BSB? it? If you
0: think of the British riders, I guess you'd say Mackenzie did that, didn't he? he came back, mm, like Rob McInney came yeah, back. It's funny like a transition. It was, it was a way of extending your career to a certain extent. But I think the riders I'm talking about probably didn't earn quite enough money. You know, Magnaia yeah. is probably going to never need to race again after whatever. And I think that was probably a lot to do with it. But what I want to know is because I reckon I was fully focused on riding a 502 stroke. OK, I had my finger over the clutch, but I had a rev counter and a temperature gauge. That was it. What? They've got buttons to press
2: now. Oh, the, mate, they've got the right shift
0: to ride height. When they get on a straight, they have to hit a the, button to do this yeah. and do that.
2: I you reckon, see they're fun doing this, and yeah, like if you watch it on boards, and yeah. I actually say that to people, like do you know, like even with BSB bikes, you pretty much you do mapping. Yeah, that's so you much can hit a mapping button when yeah. the tire goes. Literally, you you've a got a mapping button, really, and yeah. a fun break, yeah. but. And even for that, you think, Oh, I've got to hit the mapping button yeah. now. Them oh. boys are literally on their on their buttons yeah. and it's hard enough getting invited. Yeah. yeah. And Especially and they're when they're doing two hundred and twenty mile an hour. That's the thing, they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Them Ducatis, though, when they hit full fifth, sixth, it's just they just go, don't they? Yeah. It's But the bike sits itself. No, it's I think I'm That's right in saying mad. that the bike sits it itself
0: down and then when it breaks it locks yeah, itself it back up. It does. But I believe they have to hit a button for somewhere for maybe it's the front to drop or something. But when you see those bikes on the straight now, they look like, like drag bikes. that yeah. they're sat that much off the
2: ground. Yeah, and yeah. a couple of them stuck in Aust- in, in the the Qatar circuit. Yeah. Sorry, and a couple yeah. of them caused crashes. Yeah, yeah, sure. But who's your world superbike? It's hard to go uh, against. Bautista yeah, it, minute, it, it, it is
0: hard to go against him. He's on the best bike out there. i, I mean, again. I think unfortunately it's going to be a Ducati. Uh, but but Bautista. He had that shit year, didn't he? When he was, he looked like he got the whole thing sorted out, and somehow mentally imploded. But I think he's learnt from that. He's experienced enough. He's on the best bike out there, and I think the mental side—if you're on the best bike—it gets in your head to be yeah. you know, to do the right job. So I, I'd say he's got to be the guy for doing that. Yeah, BSB, yeah. BSB. You I, don't have I, to say I, me because I'm here, mate. You no, know, just I know I would normally. I would normally, but I think I think because obviously probably Brooksy. I know that sounds silly because he's right up there already, but we know how he's a better mate than you I, I see a bit of him he comes and gets avgas from our airfield for his motocross yeah, bike yeah. but, but he's a oh, he he's a very me, yeah. analytical person isn't mm. he a factory BMW is super. and he digs
2: in he's a dig. He, he's not what I like about Brooksy's character is there's no bullshit no. and it's kind of like I go and race my bike do yeah. a good job and that's it and he's a no bullshit character and I quite like that the only thing that did find, I did find it really weird how much he
0: went off the boil last year and I know he didn't get on with a bike I, I mean you'll probably know more about it than I did but I never expected Sykes to win two races at Donington and, and him then have not. Him, in, him be yeah. nowhere Or at some of the other circuits, yeah. yeah. So that was thing, kind of it? weird. I don't know whether he just mentally decided that that bike wasn't for him and that was the end and of it. And then you
2: feel like you can't push. Yeah, yeah
0: possibly. But uh, that's good. Um, I'm sure that Birdie's boys are going to be Quick. there or thereabouts. You know, uh, just know, your BSB and it, the... you just don't know, dear. Like, this that's season's... why I say it to lots of people. Someone said to me, right, you can only watch one form of motor racing you can't watch Formula One, your GP, Superbike, I'd watch
2: BSB. I've got to rush through these things the room, now, because I know you've got your parking outside. I, I, I don't have. care. Do you know what? No. Well, oh, it do it, I'm giving you the bill. No, no you yeah, have parking ticket. I'll oh, pass it on, mate. Don't you worry about, about that. Yeah, don't you worry. Um, it's a big one. Don't you <laughs> worry one. about that. That's coming in. Um, I've got to ask you, Obviously, I want to, I've want i got a quiz on here, and we'll right. finish up with a quiz, but what was Plummet Airways? Explain to us what Plummet Airways Plummet is. Plummet Airways, <laughs> I learned to gone? fly.
0: I, when I was racing trucks, my winters, I was bored because I didn't have any testing to do much and so on and so on, and they were paying me good money. Motorbike racer. And, is, oh, uh, truck racing. Sorry, yeah, truck yeah. racing, this is. And so I decided to go down to the local airfield, which was near Duxford, near where I live, And there was a decent fit bird that was a trainer. She was uh, the the instructor down there. So you
2: literally just wanted to learn Uh, to fly? And I thought I'd learn to fly.
0: So I did. And I literally learned within six weeks. I went in there and I went nearly every day, whatever it took. I actually cheated at my exams. They left me in a bloody room. with got all the books and everything else. But I got my pilot's licence, and the day I passed my test, I said, have you got anything for sale here? They said, we've got a Piper Archer over there that's on the market. So I bought it there <laughs> got and Got any there. He's Got an aeroplane, himself. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and bought it, and that was it. And I've been flying for 30-odd years mm-hmm. now, 35 years, I guess you'd say. Uh, and we decided it needed a name, so it was called Plummet Airways, and our slogan for it is the fastest way to heaven. Uh, in fact, I think I've got a Plummet Airways cardio. I'm not trying have to you sell them you them anything. But, no, no, you no. give them to uh, him? Uh, But, um, uh, maybe no, I have Who's a better pilot, you or Whittam? Oh, me by a long way. Whit, Whit. Uh, yeah. no, maybe I haven't got a Plummet Airways. Oh yeah, I've. there's Plummet Airways. Um, that's hilarious, that is. Um, so I, uh, oh I, my I, God. I fly longer distances than wit and do things like that. But Couch
2: we... N-L-M-A-N-P-H-D. A PhD, Our PhD is right, a PhD,
0: because <laughs> I did some pizza
2: delivery. Airline owner. Mm. That is hilarious. Yeah. So, um, but I, I used it a
0: lot. I literally took all the BBC crew to the races. Charlie flew with me. He, Pl- Charlie Cox had a platinum card. Did Susie you the negative
2: the negative Gs? Did you ever show them? No, I no. didn't,
0: no. We few some scary moments when we got struck by lightning and things, but uh, <laughs> Charlie had a platinum card. Susie Perry had a gold card. Matt Roberts had a silver card because he didn't. He was from up north, but he'd come down to mine. Uh, and my wife did cater. In fact, Susie was catering staff for a period. She'd bring the Marks and Spencer sandwiches and things. And then I got my wife involved who made the chocolate-covered mealworms that Matt Roberts had a Oh, my
2: gosh, that's hilarious. Um, I'd probably eat them, though, because, you know, you'd be like... They're the good texture, for you. Yeah, chocolate, yeah, good. They're
0: not, they're not bad. So Plummets, uh, you know, it goes goes well, and I still use it a fair bit to go around it, yeah. And
2: I've got to ask you this one question before we go on the quiz. I'm going to just keep doing this an hour later. I'm not really. But um, do you remember your first sponsorship, Dylan, how much it was? Like, when you first ever got sponsored, was you like... I, I never my, I never got my first sponsorships, which was Harold up first, then Dave
0: Moore. I never got any money. I just just got free tires. Yeah. And so my first sponsorship deal, where I actually got a check because you got checks in those days, that came to me and I banked it was Suzuki's. So that's first time I won yeah. prize money and I got some start money before, but first time I ever actually got a salary was with Suzuki's in '77.
2: That's mega, is it? Mm. So that was five years after you first went to a racetrack. That's yeah. pretty yeah, bad, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah don't it don't happen now, does it? it?
0: And I think I'm sure it was five grand my signing on fee, but you got to keep all your start money, all your prize money, and never paid for anything. So that's half a house. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So that would be yeah, no, that'd be quite a lot of money signing on, really. Now, so you it?
2: mate, like obviously the life you've lived, like obviously you've done so much stuff, had hmm. such a mega, mega career, hmm. mega friends, like mega journey, isn't it? It's mad, yeah, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's absolutely mad, and I, I live the dream. And uh, your career, yeah. And it was all down yeah. to you and your mates going racing, going and,
0: racing with and bangers around the fields, and and I bet you had the same. Your school teacher said you'd never make a living out of. another little story, yeah, uh, and it. It's blowing smoke up my own ass, but I got spelled from the primary, school, senior school for oh. taking the wheel nuts oh, off. Oh, that story. That's what I'm the, saying. Yeah, I took the all nuts. the wheel
2: nuts off your school teacher's car. How, yeah. how many yards did you get out of the park? It didn't go.
0: It went about one so revolution. So just off. Yeah, all of them fell And off onto the,
2: the freight. Oh my gosh, anyway,
0: honestly. But okay. I got spelled, and that teacher, yeah. Mr Carruthers, he told me I was a moron and I will end up in the gutter. And five years later, so that would have been, no, it was six years later, when I'd just signed for Suzuki's Um, uh, I got invited back to Sports Day and purposely drove in in my Rolls Royce no way right. yeah, I did, yeah, did. Yeah, did. did it was an yeah. old shitter but, but yeah, still yeah. at Rolls it was still a lot high mileage Rolls we'd probably got the wrong tyre size I just on don't it, know
2: that. why teachers have to do that yeah. Like I, uh, my teachers do the same thing but it's like they should encourage people to want to be successful encourage them to be successful yeah. in sport and then maybe you'd actually listened at school because you had a bit of help and a bit of support yeah, around I job. think the problem is awesome. they, they the care. problem
0: is I think and it must be difficult for teachers they've got a load of people yes, to look after and there's probably 30 in the class and there's one wanker like me but I didn't I I couldn't work out what algebra would do for algebra would do for me and so on and so on. But I seriously, seriously regret not doing a bit more English and stuff like Same that. Because me. I work hard now. Whatever I'm doing, writing letters and typing and so on and so on, my, my grammar's not real good. So there's elements of my life that I wished I'd learned.
2: I'm more. 100% the same as you. Like I always said, oh, school, I don't need maths, I don't need English. No, but but I wish there was areas i just tucked tucked sure. into. Because like you say, when you get older, you run yeah. your own business or you're running yourself or you're doing this, you're doing that, there's stuff that you could yeah. definitely use. Yeah, yeah, no question. Right, yeah. let's finish up with a quiz then. Right, this okay. Is it. So I've, I've yeah. made up this quiz. Righto. I haven't got a name for it yet again. Okay. but um. It's something, and it's hard because you are a knowledgeable man. You know, I've I've, I'm not, I'm I've big, seen you at the NEC. Mm, you, you are you give it the big one, mate. You know a few I, things. I swat up. Yeah, who won the 1980? Oh, why have I wrote this? I've just wrote who won the 1980 Grand Prix, but what it wasn't. That. I think it was the British Grand Prix. I who wrote. won the 1980 British Grand Prix? It was quite surprising because there was a guy on pole position and a guy who was fastest all weekend, and he didn't win the race. He finished third. Nineteen eighty. So 77,
0: I fell off while leading it with three seconds advantage <laughs> on the last lap, and Pat hennan won it. Uh, 79, I think, was that the wet year? Kenny
2: Roberts? R- Mamola. Roberts was third, but Roberts was on pole that ah, year. okay. Yeah. Right. right, okay. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Oh, there you go, there's yeah. one. Got that wrong. What bike won the first single-cylinder TT? What bike won the first
0: single-cylinder TT? <laughs>
2: Vela set matchless, Did it? don't okay. know what model though, because oh, it just okay. said matchless. Right, this all okay. comes from Google, so Google right. could I'm be. I'm not even that old. before you. my time. I know, I know. Right. How long is the Nurburgring in, in distance in kilometres or miles? Kilometres. You've definitely been round a few times, I didn't have. You? yeah. Um, 38. I've got here 20.8, but I don't know how true that is right. again. That's off of Google kilometres. No, that's <laughs> wrong. Is it wrong? It's yeah, longer
0: than that. I think it's yeah. 20.8 miles. Oh, okay, it might be that. 20.8 miles. Yeah, so I was right. on that
2: one Shit, you got, I'll give you ten, and I ain't, ain't got ten on me. How many years did it take for there to be a new British Grand Prix solo champion after Barry Sheen? And who was the oh, next British champion, world, world, world Gr- champion? Yeah, as in MotoGP champion. Never been a bl- one since Barry Sheen. No, but in there was a there was a winner. Are you not world champion? a, a uh, winner. Yeah, Grand Prix. Grand Prix winner. I'm talking about Grand Prix champion, as in overall from the season. A British. Yeah do you know who it was? Oh yeah, I
0: do, I do, I do, I do. And I know you... it is. He's racing with you now. Yeah. Uh it's Danny Kent. And do you know how many years it was? Uh well, so Barry's last one was 77. 77,
2: 87, 42? 38. That's was close, it? okay. yeah. It's Danny Kent, 2015. Okay, okay. 15. I was yeah. really trying okay. to word that as well differently. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um and how many TT podiums did William Dunlop have? William. Yeah. Because he actually never won. No. Five? Nine. Did he? Okay. Close. So All that's right. You're giving me 30 quid then. Okay. That's it. 30 quid. You, you, get 30 I've seen you. you keep getting your money no, out of there. That's I mean. false. That money. <laughs> it's false money. Oh, mate. That's kids. it then. We're done, mate. Oh, yeah. we've absolutely You've got to go I well, well, might not, not get a parking get ticket if I run out of here. I know. Here. I've I know. got my
0: dog out the back with and, and my dog, Man, I've got Michelle and my dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch mate. There'll be no dinner tonight. Off to Romford. Off to Romford now to do an evening at Bradley's Honda with
2: John McGuinness. Tom Neve and... Um, make sure you uh, lock your car and make sure you park your car somewhere. And Andrew Irwin. Because, you know, a car with a number plate Cochrane yeah. on it, that's going to be hot properly in they going to have the wheels away? They'll have, have everything there? away in Romford. Right, okay. I'll bet yeah, well, leave, the dog, leave the dog in it. I'll leave the dog in it. Leave the dog. <laughs> <laughs> They'll take your dag. Yeah. Okay. All right. That'll okay. Okay. be... Well, apparently
0: <laughs> I had a dog. <laughs> Where were we? I'm trying to think somewhere. Someone had a dog in it. It was a bit of a rough area. Uh, And uh, someone went paying to look after the car and said, No, I've got a dog in it. He says, Does it put fires out? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Lovely talking to you. Yeah, no, thanks. Good luck for your repair. Yeah. Uh, If not, get someone else to go out and qualify your bike. I'm
2: going to, I'm going to have to find someone who's six foot. I might have to get Terry. That's dad, Do I'm going to have to get Terry. I'm going to have to drop a few kilos. Don't tell him.
0: No, no, no. He has put a little bit on there. (laughs) He's put a bit of stress. Terry's my. Son's godfather, right? Stress nice man, he is. stress money. Lovely man. Yeah, I want to
2: get him on. Mm. But guys, thank you for listening. Obviously, Steve, mega stories, mate. I've, I'm really glad. Sorry about his clothing, if it's being filmed. I've seen better-dressed wounds. Have you actually? Yeah. yeah. Do you not think this is Essex, mate? This is. Is it Essex? Yeah. Right? Have right. you not seen my tattoo above me oh, okay. as well? Right. This Good used stuff. to be fashionable right. somewhere in the world. Well done. But um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, keep a check out on the socials, obviously, for everything coming up. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Cheers. Me. I ain't recorded none of it that it didn't work. I punch him straight in the face.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50